Romans 6, verses 1 to 14, and that can be found on page 1132 in the Church Bibles. Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We, therefore, were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death, death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Sean, thank you very much uh, for reading for us. You know how it is. Uh, maybe you've had the experience where you're reading a long book and for some reason or other, you stop reading it for a patch, um, and then you pick it up again, and you haven't got a clue what's going on. You've forgotten the plot, you've forgotten the characters, uh, and you've got to get back into it all over again. Uh, well, here we are, uh, dropping into the middle of Romans, uh, and we need to do a little bit of that, don't we, uh, just to get ourselves sorted out. Uh, Romans was a letter written to, by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to some Christians in Rome, uh, that he'd never met, he'd never been to Rome, but he was planning to go there and, and to launch, as it were, from there on into Spain. And in all sorts of ways, what he wanted to do was, was kind of get these Christians in Rome united around his gospel, the gospel, um, in order that um, they might be a sort of a launch pad for him, a sort of resource base as he traveled on um, into Spain. Uh, so he wants them to, to understand his gospel, um, and uh, he also wants to deal with some of the, the criticisms that he knows are, are rolling around about this gospel message of his. Uh, so that's what he does uh, through the early part of the, uh, of the letter. Um, he begins uh, by demonstrating that everyone has a problem with God. Uh, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, uh, he demonstrates that nobody has lived just the way that God would have them live. And that because of that, every single person is liable to judgment by God uh, as a result. And, and no effort of our own can sort it out, no matter how hard we try. Which gave God a dilemma. 
how could God sort this? How could God say that people were right when they were wrong? Wouldn't be right to do that, would it? You see that? Wouldn't be right for God to say people are right when actually they're wrong. God can't just set sin aside, turn a blind eye, say right and wrong. They don't really matter. No, God, as the arbiter of good and evil, has to judge. So, so what will he do? Well, gloriously and wonderfully, God has a plan for his judgment on what is wrong and evil to fall on someone else. And in that way, because this judgment falls on another, it can be right for God to say that we are right when we are wrong. Because God has judged sin. And you see that in this way, God wonderfully achieves two things. He demonstrates his justice, because wrong things get punished. But he also demonstrates his love, because he manages to have wrong people forgiven. Uh, And all you and I have to do is believe it. That's all. Just to believe that God has done this, and that this righteousness, this right standing before God, can be ours. Free gift. That is justification by faith, and it is brilliant. It really, really is. Only, what about the law of unintended consequences? You know how it is, you do one thing, and you don't realize that some other things might happen as well. And some people are suggesting that that law of unintended consequences might be operating here, in relation to the gospel. Because isn't it kind of likely that if you remove all punishment for sin, if you give people the free gift of righteousness before God, without them needing to do anything to get it, isn't it likely that they'll just say, great, so I can do whatever I like then? Is that how it works? See, imagine two playgrounds. And imagine in one playground, there is strict discipline. And people get punished for doing anything wrong. And imagine there's another playground where all discipline is removed. And no one gets any punishment, no matter what they do. Now, those of you who are teachers, you tell me, which playground do you want to supervise? Surely this this gospel of, here you go, free gift, doesn't matter what you do, forgiven, everything's okay with God, surely this gospel of grace is a recipe for anarchy. It's a kind of madness, isn't it? To imagine that you can do that and expect the world to be okay. In fact, to put it at its most perverse, if God is so really, is really so keen to forgive us, if that's his business, if you like, you know, forgiving, that's what God does, then wouldn't it be the case that the more I sin, the better? Because then get, God gets more forgiving to do, and since that's what he's into, well, that's okay then, isn't it? Let me sin lots, and then God can forgive lots, and everybody's happy. And that's the sort of perverse argument that comes at the beginning of this chapter. Do you see it there? Um, Verse 1 of chapter 6. What should we say then? 
this is the way the gospel works, if this is your message, Paul, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace can increase? Now, as I say, the, the objection is a little perverse. But actually, there is something in it, isn't there? Or am I the only Christian believer who's had that moment when you are on the brink of doing something that you shouldn't? And you find yourself thinking, oh, well, I know I shouldn't do this, but even if I do do this, I could say sorry quickly afterwards. And, you know, actually God does forgive, doesn't he? So maybe it's not such a big deal after all. In other words, what if this gospel, instead of actually making me better, becomes something that makes me worse? That, that almost removes my desire to do good? Well, that's such a big issue that Paul takes the whole of chapter 6 to address it. He does it in two parts. Um, uh, and it sort of does it like this. He says that becoming a Christian means you die a death. And then he says becoming a Christian means that you become a slave. doesn't sound very cheery, does it? Pretty hard sell, really. Yeah, go on, become a Christian because you're going to die. Yeah, go on, become a Christian because you get slaved. Actually, both are brilliant news, as we're going to see. Um, so we're going to do it in two parts this week and next. Uh, verses 1 to 14 that Charlotte's just read for us is where we're going to begin. Okay, three things to understand. Uh, first, you died with Christ. When you became a Christian, you died with Christ. Let me read that opening paragraph. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, now, we don't often speak like this, but actually, becoming a Christian is a lot like dying. So, on February the 15th, 1981, I died. I died with Christ, dead and buried with Him that day. And when we have them, baptism by full immersion in a big tank when we're baptizing an adult downstairs is a very good picture of that, isn't it? As somebody goes down under the water. And if you're a brave baptizer, you hold them there just a little bit longer than feels comfortable to everyone to kind of make the point. Because it's a death down there. Uh, and then rising up out of the water uh, to new life. You realize that the, the word Christian, describing believers as Christians, um, just three times um, in the pages of the New Testament. Describing a believer as being in Christ, 
Lots and lots of that. Approaching a hundred times in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, um, this this is not great, but this pencil is in the Bible. Okay, now, the Bible goes down, pencil's gone, down. Bible goes up, pencil goes up, left, right. Pencil goes wherever the Bible goes, because the pencil is in the Bible. Told you it wasn't complicated. (laughs) There you go, you got it. To, to, To be in Christ, whatever happens to Christ happens to us when you are in Christ. So Christ dies, you die with him because you are in Christ. That's what verse 5 means when it says that we have been united with him in death. His death becomes our death. We do it with him. So that, verse 6, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. How do you catch this? It's, it's as if our life is divided into two parts, or maybe you've got two volumes of your life, volume one and volume two. And volume one is the, is the, the pre-Christ volume. And that volume comes to an end when you become a Christian. Or that whole volume applies to, 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 to the non-Christian uh, stage of your life. And now there is volume two, my post-Christ life, the new life that I am now living in Christ. It is as radical and absolute as that. There, there is that life that is now dead, finished. And there is now a life which is alive in him. Imagine, um, imagine two identical twins in some sort of ancient medieval village. Um, uh, and imagine that one is a rogue um, and one is saintly. Uh, and let's imagine that one day the, the, the roguish twin uh, does something terrible. He murders somebody um, and then rushes into the room where his saintly twin brother is, uh, all covered in blood. Um, and tells his twin brother what he's done. And the twin brother says, um, says quick, take, take those bloody clothes off um, and run, run to the hills. Um, and the saintly brother puts on the blood-stained clothes. And just after that, the soldiers rush in, see him stood there with the blood-stained clothes, arrest him, card him off. He's tried, condemned to death, and executed. Now suppose that a month later, The roguish twin returns from the hills, sneaks back into town, and hears what has taken place. Overwhelmed with guilt, he goes to the magistrate, confesses what he's done, but the magistrate, confused, declares to this twin, a death has died, a man has died, the punishment has been meted out, we can't punish it again. Stunned and amazed, the twin staggers out into the town. 
to be still more amazed when passing people greet him warmly, enthusiastically. Why? Because they think he's the saintly twin returned from a trip out of town. His life transformed because he died and now he lives a new life. It is as radical and absolute as that. The old self crucified. No longer lives. Dead, gone. And in its place, a new life begins. But be careful. Because what does verse 7 mean when it says that anyone who has died with Christ has been set free from sin? Does, does it mean sin's finished? Does it mean that, that being a Christian, mean, Christian believer means that you will never sin again? At times uh, over the centuries of the Christian faith, some have argued that. Uh, that to, to say that we've been set free from sin, uh, to say that um, uh, we have uh, died to sin in that way, no longer slaves, um, means that a Christian is now insensitive to temptation, uh, will no longer sin anymore, can and does live a perfect life. Uh, apparently, the, uh, the, the, the Baptist uh, minister, uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, in centuries past, um, found himself talking to such a man who believed that because he had been crucified um, uh, with Christ, he now lived a perfect life. The old man had gone. Spurgeon apparently took a jug of cold water um, and without saying a thing, poured it over his head. Um, and the man that he was talking to responded with a tirade of foul abuse. At which point Spurgeon said, I thought so. It turns out that the old man wasn't dead at all. He was just sleeping and needed a glass of water to revive him. You see, the, the point is not that a believer is incapable of sin. No, no, no. It, it's that, that sin is now incongruous for a believer. It doesn't fit anymore. And to see that, let's move uh, to, to a second heading. Uh, having said that, you died with Christ... Now notice, secondly, you will be raised with Christ. So, so you remember the, the, the pencil in the Bible. Uh, we got that. That, that, was, that was really good, wasn't it? Down, up. Okay. You died with Christ, raised with Christ. Uh, both true. Uh, and uh, notice the, the way that this is expressed. Verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. But do you notice the future tense? We will be, you will be united in a resurrection like his. Catch the same in verse 8. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
And, and what we're catching here is something of the, the now-not-yet tension of the New Testament. The resurrection of, of Christ has already happened. The new life of a believer has already begun, but it's not complete yet. It's not realized to the full yet. And that means that there are these two dangers. There's the danger of, of imagining too much. Uh, and that's the danger of thinking, that oh, okay, so, so I won't sin at all now. But there's also the, the danger of, of expecting too little. Not realizing what is expected of me because of what this radical thing that has already taken place. So verse 4 says, Just as Christ was raised from, from death through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We may do it. It is possible for us now. There is a freedom from the compulsion to sin that we didn't have before, but now if we are a Christian believer, we do have now. There is a capacity to resist sin, to fight sin, that we didn't have previously. Verse 6, Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled with sin, ruled by sin, may be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Stories told of a, a beautiful eagle in the Australian outback, which was captured um, and a pretty miserable um, sort of hostile owner um, tethered it to a stake uh, with a rope because uh, he, he thought it might attract people to his hostel. Um, and uh, for years, this beautiful bird uh, just walked round and round in a circle uh, around this stake, tethered to it. Anyway, after a time, a new owner took over uh, the hostel um, and was appalled uh, at what had been done to this bird and announced that he was going to free the eagle. Um, and word got round, and everyone's got quite excited. And everyone gathered together um, on this great day uh, when the bird was going to be cut free. And everyone was there. Uh, and the owner uh, uh, took a knife, sliced through the rope, and the bird was free. And it just went on walking round and round the stake because that's what it had been doing for years and years. See, what a tragedy as a Christian to be set free from sin. How utterly inappropriate to continue in a life of sin just out of that miserable habit. Instead of enjoying the liberty that God has made possible for us, So come to a final heading where we see that having died and having been raised with Christ, we must now live out our new life, live out our new identity. Now that's the thrust there of verse 11. 
in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Just as, just as Jesus died and has been raised again, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It, it's not, when Paul says count yourself dead to sin, he's not saying, let's pretend. You know, just, 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 just sort of you know, pretend it's true, even though we know it's not really. No, no, he's saying something much, much stronger than that. He's saying, because it is true, live as if it's true. Um, I know this is really out of date, but um, bear with this. Um, David Beckham used to play football, I mean, before he sort of did all the celebrity stuff. I mean, he actually was a footballer, wasn't he, for a while. Um, now, there was a decade... Um, David Beckham played for Manchester United for, for 10 years. Um, Alex Ferguson, the manager, um, you know, his great mentor, and, uh, and so on. Um, uh, and um, then in, I think it was 2007, if I've got my dates right, uh, David Beckham was transferred to Real Madrid. Now, imagine that there's then a game between Manchester United and Real Madrid. And imagine David Beckham soaring down the wing. And suddenly... From the touchline, Alex Ferguson's voice, shouting commands. And you imagine, soaring down the wind, David Beckham sort of pauses, kind of confused for a moment. Because for a long, long time, he listened to that voice. For a long, long time, that was the voice that, that commanded him, ruled him. You know, whatever Alex Ferguson said, you did. Because otherwise you're in big trouble. But, but then David Beckham remembers. Now, things aren't the same now. now. He's now playing for a new team. He doesn't have to listen to Alex Ferguson anymore. That was the past, and that's gone. He's now free to do something very different. That's the image here. Not that sin is impossible. As Christians, we still sin. Not, not that temptation isn't still a voice that we hear and that sounds very familiar to us, but that nevertheless it is possible to live a new life. Because of what Jesus has done for us, what the gift of the Spirit in our lives accomplishes for us. We can and we should resist sin because of the radical change that God has brought about in us. It is that sense of, of, of be who you are. David Beckham, you're a Real Madrid player now. Play for Real Madrid. Christian, you belong to Christ now. Live for him. Therefore, Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Our time's just about gone, but do you see the imagery here? 
every part of yourself, all of the, all of the bits of your body, you know, your arms, your legs, your feet, your eyes, everything about you, offer them to God that you might live for Him. Where have your feet taken you this past week? Where will they take you this coming week? Have you walked where God wants you to walk? Will you walk where God wants you to walk? What have your hands done this past week? What have they written? Which place did your mouse click? What have your eyes looked at? Who have you made eyes at? What will your hands and your feet and your eyes do this coming week? Will you use them as instruments of righteousness for the God who has brought you out of slavery and into new life in Christ? If you're a Christian believer, you you died with him that old life gone, and you now live with him. He's raised you to live with him into eternity. So therefore, let each of us present ourselves as those who will live for God, counting ourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness in Christ. Let me lead us in a prayer. Uh, What a thing you have done for us.